Come on, can somebody say amen this morning? Turn to your neighbor, tell them, say you're looking good today. Come on, brag on them just a little bit. Love on somebody next to you. Hey, so glad all of you are here this morning. Uh, really excited about what God is doing here. As always, before we jump into the message, I like to look in the back of the room at the, the cameras that are there and say a great big hello to our extended family in the greater Washington, D.C. area. Go church. As many of you know, we are one church in multiple locations. And so we have our campus right here in the South Metro Atlanta area. And then we have Go Church in the North Metro D.C. area. And so we welcome all of you. We love you. Uh, you. You all have such a special place in my heart and Kimberly's heart. And so come on, all of you here today, welcome Go Church. Make some noise for them. Come on. Awesome. And then for all of you watching online, maybe you're traveling today or if you're homesick, uh, maybe you're serving in the military, we love you, we honor you, whoever you are, wherever you are, thanks for tuning in today. We believe that God has a word just for you. All right, one more time, all of you in-house, make some noise for all of those online, come on, let them know you love them. So good. Well, we're, we're, on the, uh, we're on the back end now of a series that we've been doing for a number of weeks called Family Matters. I hope you've enjoyed this series as much as I have enjoyed teaching this series. We've got just a couple more Sundays to go. Uh, we're going to jump into today together, and then we'll end this whole conversation, at least this go-around. We'll never stop talking about the family. We'll never stop preaching on the family, but, but we'll go a different direction after next Sunday, which, by the way, watch this, next week is Mother's Day. Come on, if you love your mama, say amen to that. <laughs> Fellas, this is also a free reminder that it's not too late to jump on Amazon, hello, and uh, get them a gift. They deserve a gift. And so we've got Mother's Day planned here at South Metro, and it really is a can't-miss Sunday uh, we're going to close out the Family Matters series that day. We've got some great surprises along the way. Uh, I don't want to tell you all those things. We just don't want you to miss it. If you're traveling, we understand that. We're praying for you as you go visit family. But, but if you're in town, come and be a part. If, you're, if your mom's coming in town, bring her here. Uh, we've got something special just for her. And, uh, and I promise you this. You, you don't, you don't want to miss it. If, if you can, be here. We believe it's going to be a great, a great Sunday to celebrate moms and to close out this series on Family Matters. And so as you know, if you've been to any part of the discussion or any week in this series, the whole point of this conversation is to understand that because your family matters to you and because family matters to God, then you better believe that the single greatest target of the enemy is going to be the family. Uh, I've, I've said this every week in my introduction, but I want to repeat myself the enemy has one primary objective, and that is to always make sure there's something the matter in your family. And that's what he does. He sets out to destroy your household. So if he really wants to stir up controversy or a mess, you know this to be true, he attacks your family. Whether you're a believer or not, whether you're a Christian or not, we all can agree that some of the greatest pain that we've ever felt in our lives have happened either towards our family or come from our family. And so what we've been doing throughout this series, and I want to encourage you, jump online, download the podcast, jump on Vimeo or YouTube, grab a CD, revisit this whole series, because we've been, we've been looking at Scripture and how the Bible lays out for us kind of this, uh, this family structure, if you will. The Apostle Paul, who wrote so much of the New Testament, he talks a lot about the family, but specifically in Ephesians, he lays out for us this model of how the family should look. This archetype of how the family should function, right? This structure of what every household should look like. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. 
And fathers, stop being so annoying with your kids all the time. And, and I've told you every week in this series that, that none of these call to actions should frustrate us. Uh, we should be reminded that when Paul wrote these words, reiterating the life and teaching of Jesus, what they were doing was actually elevating the, uh, the status of women and children, not devaluing them. So no need to be frustrated here. Jump back and listen to the message. I think all of that will make sense if you've missed any part of that. But here's what we've also identified in what we've said. When we look at the structure of the family according to God's way, according to our manual for living, and then we lay that over the top of our current family's reality, we see a gap. And we've talked a lot about this gap. Because what you just saw a moment ago, what you saw right here with the structure of this household is very ideal. Right? That This is very idealistic. And when you put that over the top of your reality... Okay, Uh, you see a gap. You see where you should be headed compared to where you are. And inside of this gap, there's just a bunch of junk. And it's the junk that the enemy loves to use in order to drive the family further and further apart. I know I'm just getting started, but somebody give me an amen right there to let me know you're with me. He just he puts a lot of junk in there. And I don't know about you and your household, but it seems like every day is something new. Every day there's a new there's a new challenge that there, there's a new punch that's thrown in the middle of this gap. Again, because the enemy's purpose is to make sure there's always something the matter with your family. So inside of this gap, and, and, and if you're, you know, depending on where you are in life, the dynamic of your family, you know this to be true in your relationship with God. The enemy wants you and God to grow further and further apart. So he'll use anything that he can to try and drive a wedge between you. And the same is true in your household. So he'll throw tension and conflict. He'll throw hatred and bitterness. He'll throw regret and anger. He'll throw in uh, poor communication. He'll throw in parenting struggles. Show me your hands if you've got a teenager. Come on, show me your hands. Yeah. Praying for you right now in Jesus' name. And, and teenagers, we're praying for you too. We're praying for you as well. And I mean that. Parenting struggles, substance abuse, marital affairs, stress. Watch this. Money problems. And then all of that, if not addressed, and and if not focused on and given attention to, what happens is broken families are the outcome. And I know this gap can be frustrating, and I know that throughout this series, maybe you've come to church, or you've sat with your family, and you have tried tried to help through the power of Jesus to bridge that gap, and you have felt more frustrated than ever before. And while that frustration level is real, because we're humans, Here's been the driving thought of the whole series, and it's been this. Although we may not be where we want to be, we refuse to settle for less than what we should be. Come on. Although we're not where we want to be, we see what God says to do in the Bible, but but we're not there yet. We are a work in progress. Anybody with me on that? Hey, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm glad I'm not where I used to be either. Come on now. Although I'm a work in progress, I refuse to settle for less than what we should be. In the last few weeks, I've had you do this. I'm counting to three. I want everybody in the room, and even those of you watching online and at Go Church, I want you to read this out loud with me. And again, not because I need to hear you say it, but you need to hear you say it. you got to get this in your spirit because the enemy wants you to settle. The enemy wants you to be unhappy. The enemy wants your family to fall apart. The enemy wants you to divorce. But if you can get this in your spirit that, hey, we're not perfect, but we refuse to settle, something supernatural happens. You ready? Read it with me. One, two, three. We may not be where we want to be, 
but we will not settle for less than what we should be. Come on, by a round of applause, anybody declare that over your household. So here's what we've been doing. We're trying to address the different things within that gap. We've tried to address certain topics, uh, places of tension, places of frustration, and we could spend many, many, many continuous weeks diving into particular topics within that gap. But we've tried to choose a few of those conversations along the way that we felt many of you were going through. And today, I want to talk on one that I think most of us in this room and most of you watching online wrestle with, and it's this. It's the thought about money. Money. Now, here's what we know about money. Money, money is not the number one cause of divorce. Money is not the number one cause of the family falling apart, but, but it's right up there with the best of them. This, this, this topic right here causes a lot of challenges. It causes a lot of stress. Some, some of you wrestle with the reality of your finances and your family financial status every day of your life. Every night you lie awake worrying about the money and how you're going to pay the bills, how, how you're going to get the kids, you know, to college, how you're going to afford the car, how can you pay the mortgage, how, how, can, how can you feed your teenagers that seem like they are a bottomless pit and all they do is eat, and you've thought in your brain, they got to have a tapeworm, no human can eat that much. And so we think about money a lot. As a matter of fact, one of my favorite teachers on money is Dave Ramsey. I don't know if you ever listen to Dave Ramsey. Love Dave Ramsey. Here's what Dave Ramsey says. Dave Ramsey says, money is fun if you got some. Come on now. Look at the person next and say, it's fun if you got some. Look at the other person and say, if you got some, let me hold on to it for a minute. Watch this. Yeah, let me just borrow just a dollar. Don't you love those kind of people? Can I hold a dollar? <laughs> you know, they ain't ever going to give that back. Let me show you a few statistics about the average American household. If you have family in other countries, and many of you do, uh, these statistics wouldn't necessarily apply to where they might live. But in the great U.S. of A., I think that these statistics are staggering. They're mind-blowing. Watch this. You need to see this. Uh, the average American household with credit card debt owes $16,061. This is the average. And some, some of you are thinking, man, I am above average right now. <laughs> Mama always said I'd be above average. Now, now consider 16000 with what? 18% interest. A lot of stress with that. Now, many, many of you can't even catch up because of the reality of the indebtedness that you find yourselves in. Watch this one here. The second stat I want to show you is the American, uh, the average American household with car loans owes $28,535. Now, no, no show of hands. And by the way, today is, today is a guilt-free zone. And let me, let me show you what I mean by that. How many of you in the room, by a show of hands, you would say at some point in your life, Especially, especially your adulthood life, you've done something stupid with money. Let me see your hands. You've just done something dumb with... Okay, so this is a no-guilt zone. We've all been there, all right? But many of us, when we go to look at a new car, we don't even look at the bottom line. We don't even look at the price tag. We just say, what are my monthly payments? 
If you're a car salesman in the room, you know that's your favorite question. Because you can manipulate. I'm going to stop. I'm just going to stop. You know. All of you know. Watch this. Now when you, look at, when you look at the whole household, you look at credit cards, you look at student loans, you look at car loans, uh, some medical debt, the mortgage, all of that, the average American household owes $172,806. This, my friends, is drawing and producing tension in the family that is pushing the family further apart. And then, and then this last one is the most mind-blowing to me of all of them, and it's this. The average American household living paycheck to paycheck is now at 55%, and some some research suggests that 61% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. That, that means if, if those of you in this room are just average, if you're just average, and you fall into this category, if you lost your job or by, by some incident you didn't get paid, you, you'd not be able to survive. You, you couldn't pay your, your rent. You couldn't make a house payment. You couldn't pay the cars. Couldn't get grocery groceries because you're living paycheck to paycheck. Now, now there is this old-fashioned rule. And if you're, if you're about 60 years of age or older, you'll certainly remember this rule. The rest of you, when you hear this rule, you're going to go, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my entire lifetime. What, what are you even talking about? So if you're 60 and above... Maybe even 55 and above, you're going to know this rule. For the rest of us, this is just going to be like, what? I want you to see the rule. Here's the rule right here. If you did not have the money to buy something that you wanted, you were not allowed to buy it. Uh, Some of you are like, huh? What kind of church is this, you know? Can't we just charge it? So before pandemonium breaks out, let me help you kind of understand what this old fashioned rule meant it meant this and I hope this clears the air it meant this you weren't allowed to buy things you didn't have money for anybody some of you are thinking that doesn't make any sense to me I got plastic in my pocket I got money in my pocket but it ain't cash just swipe it but, but the rule was, you had to have money in your hand in order to purchase whatever it is that you wanted. But let me show you how quickly our culture changed. Let me show you how fast society changed, how fast every household shifted. When the Great Depression hit our nation, right before the Great Depression hit America, only 2% of all households had a mortgage against it. So before the Great Great Depression hit, that meant that only 2% of homes were not paid for, that people had to borrow money for. Within just 40 years, within four decades of the Great Depression hitting America, only 2% of all homes did not have a mortgage against it. So what, what does that mean? Well, it tells us that passed down from generation to generation... Passed down from household to household came this entitled mindset. And we see it all the time. 
hey, I'm 22 years old, or I'm 32 years old, or I'm in my early 40s, and I deserve the same lifestyle as my parents. I I deserve the same big house. I deserve to drive the same fancy car. I deserve the same elaborate vacations. I, I deserve it. And what we've got in our country and what we have in so many households around the country today is a generation of pretenders. Trying to help you, by the way. They've got the stuff, but they've also got the debt to go with the stuff. And most, most sadly is this. All the stuff that they've gotten, they don't even own it. It's not even really theirs. And so they're pretending to live this elaborate life that they're just charging. And every time they swipe that card and they buy something or I buy something or you buy something with money that we do not have, we are bringing stress into the household. And then we are forced to work longer hours, take additional jobs pick up extra shifts on the weekend, and then we miss out on the moments in our family's life that we can never get back. I wish somebody help me out real quick. And Scripture, Scripture talks about these individuals. Watch what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 13. Some people what? To be what? But they have what? Some people pretend To be rich. But in reality, they have nothing. I love how the message translation of Scripture says it. A pretentious, showy life is an empty life. Now, I want to be completely transparent with you through the whole conversation this morning. and, And I don't want you to be upset with me. Uh, although it's my responsibility as your spiritual tour guide, as your pastor, to, to, to bring conviction through the Word of God, because I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help families. And to be completely honest, I do not believe that the majority of households that find themselves, you know, in a financial situation are there because of an income problem. Mo- most families don't end up in the financial pressure that they're under because of financial income. We don't have an income problem. We have a spending problem. We have a spending problem. And and for whatever reason, either out of obligation or I think for many it's addiction, we are compelled to overspend, to buy things we really don't need. And what happens is it puts unfair pressure on the household, and it's destroying the families. And every time we spend money that we do not have, every time that we go into debt, every time we find ourselves in bondage, we see this gap grow wider and wider and wider. And I hear what some of you say, I'm not in bondage. Here's what the Bible says. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a what? Slave to the lender. Now, here's what we know. Most people, most individuals, they don't don't walk around saying like, hey, hey, I'm a slave to money. Most families will never admit like, hey, hey, we are in financial bondage, but, but they say things indirectly. 
So families that are a borrower and become a slave to a lender, they'll, they'll say things like this. Uh, we'd love to start a family, but we don't have the money for that right now. We, we'd love to have another kid, but we don't have the kind of money to do that. We'd love to adopt a child one day. We'd love for, for one of us, one of the parents, to be able to stay home and, and raise the kids, but, but we can't do that. We don't have the money for that. And what they are indirectly saying is, we're in bondage. We, we have to do what, what we really don't want to do because we can't afford to do what we think God is calling us to do. Some families will say things like this, like, we'd love to have a bigger home, but we'll just, we'll just settle for this. I don't, I don't really like my job. I'd love to step out and do something that I really find fulfillment in, but it just pays the bills. So I'll just keep doing what I'm doing even though I don't like it. You ever gone somewhere and interacted with an employee who didn't like their job? They're in bondage. Some families say, we'd really love to help people in need, but we don't have money for that. Some families say, we'd love to feed hungry uh, children and kids, but we got three of them on our own. (laughs) Can't do that. We'd love to send our kids to to a Christian private school, but we can't afford to do that. We'd love to give financially to the church, but, but we don't have money for that. And what they're really saying is we cannot do what God is calling us to do because we are a slave to money. And listen to me. Any time that you cannot do what God is calling you to do in your family or as an individual, there will always be a gap. Anytime that God calls you to do something and you're unable to do it, there will always be this gap. So here's what I want to do today. I want to give you four biblical values on money. Four biblical values on money that I think could shift the culture of your family immediately. I think these four biblical values on money, which, by the way, you could apply in just about any area of your life, but this will help to close that gap that is growing wider and wider apart. Watch this. Number one, I encourage everybody to take some notes. Hey, are we good today? Everybody good? Okay, good. Watch this. The first one is this. We have to embrace the value of self-control. On the count of three, say the word self-control. One, two, three. Now I'm going to count to three, and this time I want you to say it again, but with a smile on your face. One, two, three. If our families are ever going to get out of financial bondage, If we're ever going to get to a place in our family where we're not a slave to money, we have to embrace the value of self-control. Here's what the Bible says. A man without self-control. And some of you ladies are like, I'm so glad my husband's here today. A man without self-control is like a city that's broken into and left without walls. I don't want you to miss this powerful lesson right here in this verse. The Bible's saying if you do not have financial self-control, you are like a city with no walls. You are defenseless to financial attacks. You are vulnerable to debt. If you have no financial defense against the attacks of the enemy, you will find yourself in real trouble. And the truth is, many of us, we wrestle with self-control. Have you ever been in a store, Walmart or a grocery store, and you hear a a, a kid, a toddler, or maybe, you know, even a teenager at times that they are throwing a temper tantrum because they want something that their parents aren't giving them? 
And how many of you are like me? You're thinking, man, I'd love to have like one week with that kid. I would, I would straighten that child. Anybody with me on that? And there's a part of you that wants to interrupt and be like, let me help you out, son. Let me tell you right now. When I grew up, we didn't buy things we didn't have money for. <laughs> right? And what do they do? They say, I want it. I want it. I want it now. And then you're wondering, what is it that they want so bad? And it's like a candy bar. And they're throwing a fit or it's a little toy. But let's be honest. When we grow up, that little kid still lives on the inside of us. And anytime that little kid comes alive, when we grow up, we're not talking candy bars and toys. No, no, no. We're talking about a new car, a brand new ring, a motorcycle. I'll give you that one, a vacation. And what is it? That little kid that comes alive on the inside of us, we say, I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it. And we don't have self-control. Let me, let, me, let me talk to all the ladies for a minute. Jesus. <laughs> Fellas, I need your help right now. John Donne, one of the great poets, said, No man is an island entirely unto himself. Fellas, don't leave me hanging on this island. <laughs> Ladies, here's what you do. You better be careful, bro. I'm trying to take one for you. You justify your spending, Ladies. Come on, be honest. This is, this is what you do. Everyone, I'm trying to tell you what your husband really wants to say. You come here like, I bought this belt, and I got these shoes to match, and guess what? I saved 20%. <laughs> and, and you put us in a corner. Because how are we to respond? What we really want to say, come on, fellas, this is where I need some help. What we really want to say is, you didn't save us any money. You spent money. Come on, men. Where are you at? Help me out for a minute. Saving money would have been embracing the value of self-control and saying no to the stilettos. Come on now. Saying no to the mani-pedi. Come on, help me out. Saying no to the new blouse, right? And ladies, if not careful, you can nickel and dime your family to death all under the name of I saved us money. He said, I'm behind you. I know you're behind me. I'm taking this one. You see, he didn't say I'm in front of you. I'm behind you, way in the back. Now, now, ladies, let's move to the guys for a second. Because, fellas, that is not your approach. You, you, you do not nickel and dime the family to death. That's not your tactic. No, you just spend it all at one time. No, 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 no. There's no 20% here, 25% there. No, no, no. You are a nuclear bomb of spending. You will go months without spending a dollar. And then all of a sudden you come home, you're like, baby, come outside. See my new truck and the boat to match. Yeah. You just spend it all at once. Boom. And it's gone. Come on, everybody say self-control. We've got to learn to say no. Shout no. no. Write this down. We've got to learn to say no for a little while so we can say yes for the rest of our lives. Come on, that's good preaching right there. We've got to learn to say no now 
so we can say yes later. Listen to me. I need every, I need every family to hear my heart. Please. Your 12-year-old does not need a new iPhone X. You do not need a brand new car every two years. You do not need 42 pairs of shoes. To which she would respond, nor do you need a 65-inch smart TV with active HDR, Dolby Vision, and a magic remote. be honest it's no wonder that families struggle it's no wonder that people argue and there's so much tension because you live in a household where there is no financial self-control and you are in bondage you're in bondage you are a slave to money and the enemy has got you right where he wants you and we justify it all under the umbrella of i deserve here's the second value that that we've got to talk through we have to embrace the value of sacrifice Everybody say sacrifice. If there's one common theme throughout the Bible, it's the sacrificial theme of Christianity. Here's what the Bible says. Everybody wrote this down already? Embrace the value of sacrifice. Here's the scripture. Hebrews chapter 12. Let us fix our eyes on who? The author and perfecter of our faith. Who for the, everybody shout joy. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. What was the joy? The joy of Jesus was knowing that through his sacrifice, you and I would have eternal, everlasting life. And so Jesus went by the way of the cross because his sacrifice was his joy. Here's our definition for the word sacrifice, especially when it relates to finances in your household. Sacrifice is giving up something that you love for something you love even more. Sacrifice is giving up something that you love for something that you love even more. So, So maybe you really love TV. You got your favorite show or your favorite shows and you love TV. But what you love even more is a debt free Christmas. So, so what you decide to do as a family is for the next eight months, seven months, we're going to cut cable and we're going to take that money because let me tell you right now, DirecTV has taken your money. All of them, not just DirecTV. You know how expensive it is to get the four channels that you actually even watch? They're brilliant in their packaging, aren't they? So I love TV, but what I love even more is not owing money after Christmas. And so we're going to give up cable for something we love even more. Maybe you really want a bigger house. You love the idea of a bigger house. But what you want even more, somebody say even more, is for one of the parents to stay home. And so what you decide to do is, well, we won't put the money in a bigger house. We'll be content with where we are. And we'll let mom or dad stay home to help raise the kids. There's something that you love, but you're going to give it up for something even more. See, the entitled mindset is, well, I'll just have my cake and eat it too. And that's how the gap grows wider and wider. You can't have both and at times. There's either or. Come on, I wish somebody would help me for a minute. Maybe you love food. Anybody? 
Am I, is my household the only one whose food budget is ridiculous? We love food. Love food. And, and every day you go out to lunch with your coworkers. It's $7 for this sandwich, $8 for that sandwich, $1.50 for a big gulp. And before you know it, 10 bucks every day is out the window. But what you love even more is not to have a car payment. And so what you decide is, I'll give up Chick-fil-A. Some of you are like, no, nah, you lost me there, ma'am. You had me until you said Chick-fil-A. Because everybody knows at the marriage supper of the Lamb, Chick-fil-A shall be served. Come on now. Help me out. So, so you don't erase that from the tape. Do we have tape? So erase that. You give up Subway. <laughs> Somebody like, there you go. That's better. You give up Subway because you want to have your car paid off. And I know what some of you are thinking. That's ridiculous. Man, Pastor JC, that's not normal. Exactly. It's called sacrifice. And we do not live in a culture. We do not live in a society where sacrifice is the theme. I've told you throughout this whole series that we have to redefine normal. Because normal is not working. You know what normal is? Normal is debt. Normal is car payments. Normal is credit card loans. Normal is student loans. Normal is a big house payment. Normal is fighting about money. Normal is divorcing about money. Normal is lying awake at night worrying about money. That's why I believe with all of my heart that the moment that you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he calls you to be abnormal, to be set apart from this world, to be different than this world. Titus, the book of Titus says that you are a peculiar people, that you don't do things like the rest of the world does. And so you learn because Jesus, set the example to sacrifice. Somebody shout sacrifice. Here's the question. Are you willing to give up something you love for something you love even more? Are you willing to give up something that you love, listen to me, so that you can love something else even more? I'm telling you, break out of the normal mold. Instead of spending your money like culture says and culture does, and society does. I want you to embrace the value of self-control and the value of sacrifice. And it will change everything in your house. It will change everything. Here's the third biblical value. Are we good? Amen. Come on, give me a good amen if you're enjoying today. Let me make sure. Embrace the value of planning. Embrace the value of planning. Sports teams understand this. Businesses understand this. Corporations understand this. Why can't we get this in our household? Jesus said it like this. He said it in Luke 14. He said, is there anyone here who planning to build a new house doesn't first sit down and figure out the call so you'll know if you can complete it? There's a young married couple here. You've been thinking about building a house or buying a new house, and all of a sudden you've got godly conviction. Because you can't afford it. And you know it. But you've got people telling you to do it anyway. No, Jesus said, who would plan to buy a house or build a house and not first count the cost? Look at what Proverbs 21 says. The Bible says it this. The plans of the who? Lead to what? As surely as what? Leads to. Here's the thought. Let me give it to you. Write this down. 
You can wander into debt, but you cannot wander out. You, you can accidentally find yourself in a financial mess, but you can't accidentally find your way out of it. I had this thought yesterday watching the Kentucky Derby. Of all of the individuals in that stadium that put their life on the line, their financial life on the line, that they put their legacy on the line hoping to get it big, to make it rich, to hit that trifecta. I'm not, I'm not, there's no condemnation, there's no guilt here. I can't tell you how many times I've went into a gas station to pay for my gas. And there's been individuals in front of me buying a lottery ticket. Why? Hoping that what they scratch off will help them. When really all I want to say is, man, just practice some self-control. Get some sacrifice and make a plan. Well, Pastor JC, you don't know what you're talking about. I beg to differ. My father died when I was 13 years old. Six months before he had a heart attack. His life insurance policy was canceled. So he left us with nothing except some change in cans that we could find around the apartment and some random bills that he would hide in a book or underneath a mattress because for some reason men just hide money. My mom worked multiple jobs. We lived off of his social security and I had to go to work. My dad was a really good man, and I even wrestled with telling this part and this message because I don't want you to think less of him because he was a good man. But from generation to generation in the worldly name, in the worldly household, for uh, poor self-control, the inability to sacrifice, and not making plans ruined the financial future of my family. My mom told me a story. I was too young to remember it vividly, but she said that, She'll never forget one day that the bank showed up to repossess a car that we owned. We didn't really own it. We just thought we owned it. The bank owned it. And they came to repossess the car, and my mom was humiliated. She didn't know that finances were that bad. My dad was working. He was an entrepreneur at the time. And they came and they took, they took the car. So my dad set the whole family down. And he embraced us, and he apologized for what happened. But it was the next words that came out of his mouth that made the family gap grow wider and wider. He said, I know how we'll make it all up. Let's go to Disney World. And my, my mom said, excuse me? He said, come on, we need to take the kids. I need to get their mind up. Let's go to Disney World. And she called him by his name. And she said, they just took our car. And you want to go to Disney World? And that gap started to grow wider and wider. I, I know what it's like. To not have much, to see my mom play the role of both mom and dad. And here's what I decided. As soon as I met Kimberly and she realized that I was the man of her dreams and, you know, and all of that. The very first thing I did as her husband is I took out a life insurance policy. Very first thing. Because I don't know how many years I'm expected to live on this earth. I, I could be here 40 more, 50 more years or I could go as quick as that. But I knew one thing, that when God calls my name, my family will be taken. I will make a plan 
for my family. The other thing that I have to learn is that I wrestle with a generational curse of impulsivity. That inside of me is a desire just to be a nuclear bomb of spending at times. So in some seasons, I'm very frugal. And then in other seasons, I'm like, just get whatever you want. Just go for it. Let's go. So I have to learn sacrifice, self-control, and planning not to hurt my family. Because I know, I know that my children watch how I spend, watch how I save. And I think it's important that they sit down and they see mom and dad make a plan. Let me ask you some questions. Do you have an emergency fund? Like if an emergency happened, have you made a plan for that? If the transmission went out, if, if your tires blew, you ever see these people that are driving around on a spare tire for like seven months? Can I just let you in on something? You already know tires are not cheap. Do you have a plan for that? Did you have a monthly budget? Let me tell you why you should have a monthly budget. Because creating a budget tells your money where to go instead of your money telling you where it's going. You make a plan because you can wander into debt, but you can't just wander out of it. What about your kid's college? And I know, well, that they're only one or two or four or seven or nine or whatever, but you will blink. Are you making a plan? What about retirement? Can I tell you, I love what I do. I love what God has called me to do. But I pray that there's at some point a season in my life that I can step back and follow in the example of my in-laws and go to Hawaii too. Come on, somebody. But you got to plan for that. You got to make a plan. Well, I don't want to talk about money. It's too stressful. Well, you're creating your own firestorm. I'd rather get out ahead of it than get behind it and suffocate underneath it. Come on, are you with me? Somebody help me out right there. And then here's the final one. Embrace the value of giving. Some of you were loving the message till now. I liked everything you were saying. You made me laugh a couple times, but now you're telling me to give? So if, if giving money to the church frustrates you, you can tune me out. And I mean that. You can tune me out. But before you tune me out, let me just let, me just let you know something. The Bible is loaded with teachings on money and possessions and the spiritual discipline of generosity. Two-thirds of every parable, those are stories that Jesus told, two-thirds of all of the parables that Jesus told dealt with money and possessions. One in every ten verses in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, deal with money and possessions. If you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, there are over 2,300 verses about money and possessions. That's five times as many verses than he speaks on prayer and five times than he speaks on faith. Why? Now, you can tune me out after this, but you need to know why. Because money is the best outward measurement of your inward spiritual condition. And, and the Bible says that where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Okay. So those of you that you, you're like, man, I, I'm never giving money to the church. That's fine. I get that. And I hate that that discipline has been abused in other settings or you've seen individuals on TV that have ruined the spiritual discipline of sowing and reaping. I, I would be honored if you would give this church and her leadership an opportunity to let you reap the benefits and the blessings of what it means to embrace the value of giving. And I'm, I'm going to make a statement, and I'm going to stand by it whether you agree or not. 
The fastest way for you to get out of debt is to give your way out of debt. I'm telling you. You don't want to give here. It's between you and Jesus. But if you just practice the value and the discipline of giving, God will change everything. Here's what the Bible says. Look at this right here. I'm going to give you one verse. One verse of scripture. Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there might be food in my house. And I want you to read these four words with me on the count of three. One, two, three. Test me in this. I don't know another place in scripture where God says, bring it on. Try me. And you say, well, why, why would I test him in this? What's the point of giving God a shot? I'm going to tell you why. Because he goes on and he says this. He says, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Yeah, listen to me. If you're, if you're here today and you say, my way is not working. My, my, my way is not working. I'm in a mess. Let me give you the best advice I know how to give you. Ready? Try it God's way. Hey, and not, not, you can't just do it one time and expect everything. No, no, no. Prove yourself. It's not about, it's never about the amount. It's always about obedience. And if you embrace the value of giving, listen to me. God will open up heaven and provision will fall. Watch. Here's what I want to do. You don't believe me? You don't, you don't trust me yet? I get that. But Kimberly and I, from day one of our relationship, dating and then married up until now, and we have no plans to stop. We give God our first. The first. Before one bill is paid, when I, when I get that paycheck, the first thing I do is tithe off of the income. Well, should I tithe off the gross or the net? Just, what, just do it. Just do it. Well, I don't know. Pre-tax or post-tax? What's... Really? Just try it. You don't believe me that it works? I'm telling you. It works. When Kimberly and I, oh man, I wish I had time, but I'm out of time. Watch this. You don't believe me it works? It works. If you're in this room and you would say, Pastor, see, I know about embracing the value of giving and God has blessed me exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ever ask, think, or imagine. Would you just put your hands together? Come on, if that's you, anybody? I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Well, I'm not a believer. You don't have to be. I, I don't know how to fix it. I'm, I'm, listen to me, and I'm done. You want to know how to get the gap closer together? Start giving. A family that practices the discipline of generosity, it changes legacy. Here's the review. Watch this. Embrace the value of self-control. Embrace the value of sacrifice. Embrace the value of planning. And embrace the value of giving. And when you do that, the financial status of your household forever changes. Go church, I'm turning the service over to your campus pastor, David Waldrop. You have your own service from here on out.